Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash have a drink show. It's another wine episode today, so let's look at the rich, vibrant history of another well-known wine region. Today's region is... Germany? That's good. Oh, but seriously, what's the region? Oh, oh, they make something other than beer in Germany. I guess that means we've got a lot to learn today. So pour you a Riesling, I guess, and have a drink. Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. How's everybody doing? Existing. (laughs) Indeed. It's been, uh, I think it's been, oh, a kidney stone ago since we all last spoke. Hmm. Mm. So we had a conversation before the show (laughs) about something else entirely. And I had forgotten that I'd started the week with kidney stones. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that's been, that's how our time has gone. <laughs> well, you don't time, even remember stuff. the kidney stones. Yeah, that's no, that's like, how you know it was a week. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't the highlight. That was just a mention of the week. Like it's an appetizer. <laughs> Monday, a Monday morning. And yeah, ER for half the day, really. Monday, yeah. Tuesday, kidney stones. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tuesday was coming down from all the drugs they put me on. <laughs> the kidney stone pain. They gave her, like, we got there. All she's, the things. We were the only people there. That was like the upside to walking into the ER at 8 a.m. on a Monday morning is you're not going to wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going to walk right in. <laughs> so, I mean, especially with COVID. <laughs> yeah. But, but she's screaming in pain. Like, it is clear to everyone she's not faking anything and then like within five minutes that like they hadn't even scanned her yet they're like it's kidney stones <laughs> it's like we know what this is it's, yeah it's like okay <laughs> so there's like we're gonna give you a shot of morphine it's gonna help they give her the shot of morphine she's like i feel it in my head and then just she screams louder <laughs> yeah it did Can't, nothing couldn't couldn't hear you over the morphine i'm sorry what was that <laughs> Yeah, it was. It did nothing. She got a little like wobbly legged for like a minute, and then she was she wouldn't sit down. And this is from they, my perspective. Like she see, could tell they, you, I'm sure. They gave my grandmother morphine uh, when she had like leg surgery, and she was like hallucinating. So 
I'm sure there's a, a dosage would. level. Yeah, I don't know how. I mean, I've got a. I did a screenshot from like the my chart thing where they're they're like, I sent it to my my family with a a, a group message on an iMessage, and uh, I was like, so this is why I was basically just hung over from drugs on Tuesday because she's and it was like. Jesus. Like a Tylenol <laughs> 3 will tranquilize her usually. Yeah, I'm usually pretty sensitive to medicine. Extremely generally. sensitive to medicine. It's, yeah. And this, th- that's how bad kidney stones suck. <laughs> so <laughs> The morphine didn't do anything, apparently. I got put on morphine, then some other medicine. I can't remember the name of no, it. it was, the tea. You went, no, it Dilaudid. went morphine to Dilaudid. Two, Dilaudid, yeah. two fir- rounds of Dilaudid. Because the first round of Dilaudid didn't do... It was just like when they gave her the morphine. It pretty much didn't do anything for her. She's still it, screaming. She can't sit down because it hurts so bad. And see, that's when they come in, they're like, round two of Dilaudid. <laughs> and then that, our, the other stuff that starts with a T. And then something that starts with a T, he's like, oh, this will help with the, the spasm pain. The troll. Yeah, I don't know what it's called. Yeah. And they had after, high T. After yeah. all of this crap was in her, that she's then down. <laughs> See, and it and wasn't just, just tranquilized. It, it never did anything <laughs> like it. Outward, she uh, did it do anything for the pain because outwardly it looked like it just tranquilized you, like you were just suddenly <laughs> unconscious. <laughs> and I'm just like Which sitting is about there. The time that they're like, "All right, see ya." <laughs> yeah, and then like all the nurses and doctors pieced out and. Uh, another thing, the doctor, every time he came in, just wanted to talk to me about my beard. And it's yeah. like, dude, now's not the effing time. <laughs> it's like she's sitting there screaming in pain. He's like, it looks so well conditioned. Can I touch it? Can I just get under yeah. like, the he was like, He was just like, no joke. He's just like, that is just a magnificent beard. And then he wanted to show me his weird handlebar thing he had going on. He's literally talking to him like over, and I'm like over in the her. bed at the time. Like She's in the going, bed like... Ah! <sighs> He's a little desensitized to people screaming around him, yeah, yeah. one would assume. So, But uh, the kidney stones suck. Um, I'm just going <laughs> to put that out there. And it was it was one. It's not even like, no, no. It's it just this, like, you know, razor rock thing that just destroys everything in you. One. One kidney. Like, oh, I can't imagine having multiple. So it's the size. Uh, when I would they came actually back be dead. After, after they... Uh, did some scans and said they're like, oh, yeah, I had to do a CT scan, and they were like, well, good news, uh, it's at four millimeters. They're like, five oh. millimeters is the cutoff where we'll allow you we to try and in. pass it. Yeah. So it was within a millimeter of them being like, no, nah, we're gonna have to do something else, and the, they were just like, on top of every the cocktail we've already given you of painkillers, here's a whole bottle of Percocets. So you go rocking those babies home. I was not okay the next day. <laughs> just, just put that out. Like the, the, I think that the stone went away, but uh, my head was not not in the right spot. Let me tell you, she was coming uh, down off all that for a couple of days. But yeah, kidney mm. stones are hot garbage. Like that's just the worst. <laughs> what a no joke right there. Chris, then, I think like, enough time has passed. I think you're ready. Have you got your your stuff queued up for this? So, so I looked through and it was like all the same bad dad jokes about kidney mm-hmm. stones, but there was a, there was one that just really is sticking with me. And you know, they say kidney stones are the result of a sedimentary lifestyle. Ouch. There was another great one. It was like, oh, doctors were telling uh, 
Harry Potter that he needs to drink two liters of water a day, a day, but uh, he hasn't. So now we have Harry Potter and the kidney stone. <laughs> that one's not as good. I feel like mm-hmm. all the rest of them are really bad about Thanos or Chuck Norris passed uh, six kidney stones and Thanos took them and I put them in the infinity. I assumed gauntlet. most of them were something along the lines of these two shall pass. <laughs> or like when Gandalf had a bad kidney stone screaming, this shall not pass. <laughs> That's a wasted opportunity if that wasn't on there. I looked at so many lists and it was all the same recycled jokes and none of them were that good. Damn it, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> damn it, yeah. because I brought up that all the lists were bad or damn it that my Gandalf joke was better than You Ben's. showed up all oh, the yeah, lists yeah. I was looking at in like a second. <laughs> You're like, well, those jokes are garbage. Here's some better ones. <laughs> Casey, so that's how uh, our week went. How have you been? Uh, I feel like it's been slightly less longer than it's been since I've seen them. Yeah, uh, we went and had pie, or at least the the dinner before the pie. Um, went and saw a baseball game. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Found some cool, uh, cool new cocktail, like. Oh yeah canned cocktails that were pretty good actually well oh. a couple of them were, were were okay like you would give me a sip like you have to try this i was like it's not bad the the mai tai however was dangerous that that you'll you'll yeah. die from those yeah because <laughs> it was 12 percent, so it was not a an easy drinker i mean it was <laughs> it yeah. doesn't think that was you, the problem you could crush that and not yeah um and not be riggedy wrecked oh you would definitely be <laughs> you'll get you'll get yeah let me see if I can find the name brand of those. Um, Cutwater Spirits. Hmm. But they uh, were. Is it that uh, that category that we're so thrilled of the uh, RTGs ready to go cocktail? Yeah. Thing. And real alcohol RTGs. Yeah. Um, can we start calling so... them DTFs? <laughs> They're not ready to go. They're down to. <laughs> D, no, D, DTT is, is too close to DDT, which is a pesticide <laughs> that I don't. I think you're probably closer to DTFYU. Down to. <laughs> okay. That I think would be, be more appropriate. Okay. Uh, man, this same company, it's the Cutwater Spirits also has alcoholic popsicles. Of course. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I Rum didn't. And Coke. I don't think I told you this, Casey, but after uh, after we finished recording and like it was like in the post show, we were just talking like, yeah, we should go watch a baseball game tomorrow. Like we got done talking. The show ended and I leave my room, go to my roommate's room. He's in bed. and I just wake up like, hey, we're going to watch a baseball game tomorrow. OK, cool. <laughs> Close. Yeah. And so, you know, it was, it was nice. Just run down, uh, watch a game, drive back home. So it was fun. Good day. Um, oh yeah, guys need to do I, that, and we can all go watch the Reds sometime. Uh, we literally were there going like, we need to go watch a Reds game. Yeah, or go to You're the FC game. Uh, yeah, go the to the stadium. FC. Oh, oh, oh! Uh, they're going to be playing in November. Tickets are not on sale yet. Got to keep an eye out for it. They're going to be playing a um, a World Cup qualifying match. I think it's going to be uh, like Mexico City, and Jesus. I can't remember who else playing up here at wow. uh, at the new stadium. Oh, damn. So if you want to go to a World Cup qualifier. I don't know how. I, 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 
I want to think the tickets would be expensive, but also, would they be it, that it's expensive? It's hard to say. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I yeah. feel like they would be there. I feel like they would be, but also, like, I, I underestimate, well, uh. <laughs> Yeah, it's tricky. Know. But, I mean, yeah, that'd be pretty sick to go do. Cold, mm. but sick. <laughs> After oh. you have scarves. <laughs> exactly. It's October. Mm. We're outside drinking beer in October. Yeah. That's how you go. That's how you warm up. Justin, but, what yes. uh what have you been up to? Uh I mean watched baseball game with Casey and uh <laughs> played a, played a lot of D and D. That's that's what my weeks have been like lately. Is, is that it? Because there's I believe there's something else last weekend we did. Because you oh, went yeah. the ball game with yeah. Casey. See, none of us remember things. That's either. right. No, I I've seen Chris more recently. I've seen you guys more recently than Casey. Jeez, it's been a weird week. I don't right. Like my pay period ended this week. I thought it just started, <laughs> so that's why I was like, "What?" <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No. Last week we went to uh, uh, the release for uh, some Demogorgon up at Streetside. Yeah. Some. Some great ones. And there was an actual line share when we show up at 8 a.m. And then there's already like 20 people there. And I'm looking around going, the F. <laughs> Last week, I was here at 8 a.m. and sat here alone for two hours waiting for them to open. <laughs> uh, I uh, I was the guy who shows up to a line share with a bottle of sake. <laughs> it, was a, it was a first for a lot of people. Like a lot of diehard line share people were like, First time I've ever seen sake at a at a line share. They're like, well done, guys. <laughs> I was like, I mean, well, you should try something different. I told that to the guy who brewed it who said, you wanted to get those guys drunk. <laughs> I was like, eh, you know, they had enough there. They had stuff that's as strong as, as the horchata uh, mm. nagori I brought up. Mm. I thought that was the right choice, though, to, to get a bunch of people oh. who are not. Yeah. No joke. Everyone who tried it liked it, but yeah. not a lot of people, like a lot of people yeah. were scared. And that's, I mean, if you're looking at a beer crowd and they're just like, kind of like we were, you're like, ooh, sake. Like I've not had good experiences with off the shelf sake. And it's like, take a breath. This is good. <laughs> it, uh, it, the bottle got finished. Like I may have had like the last little bit of it, but, but enough people drank down the bottle. Mm-hmm. So, it, I didn't feel like I drank half of it just by myself, which I've drinking whole ones in a single night just to just playing D and D. So <laughs> I've had players of mine going like, "How did you do that? You weren't drunk by the end." <laughs> <laughs> it didn't look like I was drunk. <laughs> Remember, I'm semi pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's 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 what I tell anyone where they're like, "Oh, I." How much do you drink? Uh, I mean, semi-professional. Yeah. No, that was a it was a good line share though. I, I hadn't been to one in forever, like an actual one. Uh, People were breaking out a lot of great stuff, and it was a good time. Yeah. Uh, Just to see it all fold away again, and yeah, probably. That's <sighs> that's the fear, anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks for reminding me, Chris. The the 
Time has no meaning to me lately. I, I, I don't know what's going on at any given moment anymore. Oh, I, I'm the same way. <laughs> okay. Um, so in, anyone have good news? <laughs> well, the Cutwater Spirits are distributed near Pikeville area, so all I have to do is put in an order and I can get them. There you go. Oh, for the, yeah. Bingo, bango. And they got a bunch. Rum and Cola, Bloody Mary. Like a pre-canned Bloody Mary. Talk about perfect pool beer, or pool drink right there. <laughs> I, I know. A, I can, I can I'll, feel the texture of it from here, and it's not. I'll good. take the if I wanted like something like that. Drinking a cocktail get, sauce. I'd get the Bloody Mary ale from Flying Dog. Oh. Ten out of ten times. If I wanted something, like if I just wanted a Bloody Mary on the go, I'm like, no, that's it. That's what I'd be rocking. Give me a, give me a real Bloody Mary. <laughs> oh. Don't do either. With a cheeseburger <laughs> on the side. So, uh, right. announcement-wise, I feel like we actually might have a couple. Um, oh. So, uh, as of now, we have to s- state, as of now, Oktoberfest Zinzanati is back. Uh, and it's longer, Ooh. bigger, stronger. Longer. Uncut. <laughs> that has a different meaning now in, uh, when you're talking German. Uh, so it, they're saying it's going to be the 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th of September. So they're adding an extra day of festivities in there. This is all, again, as of now, as of recording, this is what they've they've said. It'll be downtown Cincinnati on 2nd and 3rd Street, which is straddling two of the busiest interstates in the country. <laughs> I only took it's, off the 17th. I didn't take off the 16th. We weren't expecting it. Well, it's yeah. a Thursday. We, yeah, we don't typically do so anything there. Well, no, Thursday is usually the, the running of the wieners. Uh, and well, so we, fr- Friday is usually the running of the wieners. Yeah. No, no, it's Thursday's running the wieners. Friday is opening ceremony. I thought. No, Saturday's opening ceremony because they would oh. start them on Fridays. Oh, I mean, yeah. That's why I took Friday off is to watch wiener dogs run. Hmm. Correct. I mean, I mean, I guess I'll just have to be drunk in the streets two days in a row, but... Oh, no. If it happens, I'm going to very much want it to happen. Because, yeah, I I, I want it. I need it. I, I, feel like, I feel like everyone says, like, look, we need this. We'll wear masks if we have to, man. Just... This this whole just town... Let us have this. Sam Adams needs to be selling masks there. Like, if they're smart. Just like, give them just, away. Or whatever, Yeah. Some kind of like, or they, instead of the hat, just or, or with the hat even like the cheap, oh, yeah. the cheap hat for like the like oh guess which beard this one is and this one is, just give a mask with it, you know. I, I, I don't know. Say, I just my cheap one of those hats, but I was like, I think it's under a bus. The city mm-hmm. needs its beer, and that's the it comes to another thing. It's not really an announcement; it's more of a shout out. Uh, probably one of the greatest uh, podcast episodes I've listened to anything since before Harmontown wrapped up shop. Like, I am dead serious about this. You guys, everyone needs to go find... Uh, it's one of the newer episodes from Cincy Brewcast. Shout out to Gnarly Gnome. Um, it's behind, a, but I need to, need to get caught back up. It's the Missing Link episode. It's like a brewer's roundtable. And it is fantastic. I'm talking about the Missing Link yeast that Urban Artifact uh, managed to unearth in Cincinnati. And it's like... They talk about the history of this yeast strain and how crazy this yeast strain is. And it's a bunch of people from around town talking about it, just talking like brewing history around Cincinnati and it just hearing these guys and their passion for this. Cause it, the, 
like, no, this yeast strain, they gave it to the city. Like, they just wow. signed it off, uh, like, as a gift. They could have patented this yeast strain and been, like, making all kinds of money off of it. They're like, no, they just gifted it to the city. Cause it's, and now it's an official holiday. This year was going to be like the first big celebration. It's like the, it's a city declared holiday, Missing Link Day. Link is misspelled with a Y <laughs> because the Link Brewery is where they found it. So it's the Missing Link. Mm-hmm. But you've got to go listen to the episode. Like there's so much to it. Uh, I could listen to Brett rant all day, <laughs> but it is fantastic. And I, like I was working listening to this episode, and I just had the just this massive grin on my face mm. the whole for like an hour walking around. People probably thought I was really creepy, mm. but you need to go listen to it. And I had never like listening to this just like the pride and excitement. It just reminded me of kind of what I like about the beer scene in this city so much, and that they talk about it a lot because Cincinnati's not like a fad chasing beer scene city. They're like, no, like what other city is a, has a Bach beer festival? Like you can't sell Bach in most other markets, but for some reason in March, Cincinnati eats that crap up. The the goats are out. Yeah. That's what, and they have like the organ, the organizer who started it. And he was just like, there are still people like, he's like, there are distributors in this town who still will not talk to me to this day. For going around and like selling them on so much Bach beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's glorious. Go, you got to go yeah. find that episode. It's like I think it's like three or four episodes ago, but it is great. Over at uh, Cincy Brewcast, just just had to get that out there and shout it out because that I'm catching up on a lot of podcasts. I've been yeah way behind. That's I know that pain lately. And I guess so. uh, another announcement is we're actually going to give ourselves a little break <laughs> mm. after this episode. Uh, we will, because when we wrote our schedule, uh, it's just looking at and going, wow, we've been just kind of slammed with this. And you might not look at it because going, oh, you guys are every other week. But yeah, there's a lot of writing involved in all this and research. And we've, like, it might take sometimes a little time to get episodes edited and up. But we've not given ourselves a break this whole year. So it's like, you know what? I think we're going to finally do that. And when we write the schedule for next year, we're going to keep that in mind. So I think uh, after this, one, we're th- we we will adjourn until September. Okay. It'll be early September. That's, 2026. Uh... <laughs> no, no, <laughs> of this a year. Break. It's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> just, just for us to uh, like wrangle in personal lives and, you know, Take a breath. It'll Take it'll a be break. Yeah. So just just um, a heads up so that you're not not staring at the feeds in two weeks waiting for the next episode. Come away with us for the summer and we'll go upstate. Sorry. I started the Hamilton joke and I had to keep going. But uh if if you're really missing us, uh just remember you can always uh go over to the Patreon and uh Join there if you're not already on the Patreon, and there's just a whole back catalog of random little episodes in there and fun tidbits. And Very much recommend the light beer blind tasting. Mm. We did. A lot of yeah. fun. And post shows. Post shows where we are now talking uh, Ted Lasso and Loki. Mm-hmm. They are this week. 
Yeah. Definitely <laughs> this week. I think we talked to Ted Lasso. Last, definitely, time, yeah. last, last week. Full disclosure. Cutwater Spirits is now owned by Anheuser-Busch. Fuck <gasps> the table. <laughs> I have to go I have to go purge from two two weeks ago's <laughs> drinking. Um I'm still gonna buy them because they're delicious. Yeah. Uh but here's the funny thing, and I think this this should have made it into did we do a Bellas Point episode? Yeah. Okay. Like forever ago. So yeah, they started funny. out with Ballast Point. Like it mm. was Ballast Point that owned or that, that created them. Did, we haven't and, done a Ballast Point episode. I thought Would we you? had like we just make the joke all the time. We did constellations. Did we? Maybe. I don't. I don't. I can't. I can't correctly recall. Look, we're coming up on episode two hundred. So, <laughs> so little little tidbit there though. So they were part of Bell's Point. In the buyout, they separated. So constellation brands did not buy Cutwater. They were their own. They separated out as their own entity. So the Spirits Division did not go with Constellation Brands, and the Spirits Division got picked up by Anheuser Busch instead. Oh. And so it looks like Constellation bought the wrong half of the company. <laughs> yeah, because this one has wow. taken off at like six hundred percent growth. Yeah. For the so, time being, that's I'm gonna keep saying it because uh, if you've looked at Sam Adams' stock recently. Because uh, they saw with Truly, they blew up from like $200 a share to like $1,200 a share. Mm-hmm. And they dropped like $800 a share in the last month. It's brutal. But, well, these aren't seltzers, which is what's pushing their market share. They're mm. they're real cocktails. So they're like real vodka mixed with mixers in a can. Nice. Also, we right. haven't done a Ballast Point episode. That's we what haven't. I, I double checked. I yeah. We have talked about them so much in joke, yeah. in jest that I I just assumed we had done it. I'm sorry. Next year, uh, Ballast Point. Uh, look <laughs> forward to that episode. Mandela effect. <laughs> All right. So there we go. Now on to the long episode of today. Oh god, and we've already stretched this thing. We're already like almost a half hour in. Oh, sorry guys. I'm gonna be. I need to go get another drink. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that. Like it's not as. I don't know. It's it's a girthy episode. So let's uh let's get it's, to it. It's big. It's meaty. Takes more than one hand. Oh, uh, well. Takes. Got length and girth. <sighs> Gotta milk the cob. Call back to the to the new show. Uh, Wait, I'm not gonna we explain that. To, we forgot to shout out our own oh, yeah, other yeah. show. Yeah, we do a news show. Um, you should listen to mil- that. We need to get milking, to the topic. Milking yes. cobs and whiskey NFTs. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, the Romans. You know the Romans. Italian guys took over most of the Mediterranean kind of dicks. They established uh, the first German vineyards, uh, Germany's first vineyards, along the uh, banks of the uh, Moselle? Mosel. 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 I was trying to, like, is it like zero Mostel? Near uh, near what is now uh, the town of Trier. 
Uh, by the third century AD, pa- uh, plantings had spread uh, to various neighboring valleys, mostly uh, along those in uh, Mosul's, uh, Moselle's tributaries. Whatever we said, that we're supposed to say that. During the Middle Ages, the Christian Church, uh, particularly the Cistercians and the Benedictine monasteries, uh, were very influential in the development of wine growing uh, and in the production of quality wine in Germany. Yeah, shocking to us too that there is quality wine in Germany. You 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 assumed France had it all. Hmm. Uh, two of the most famous names in German wine, uh, the Rheingau wineries and the uh, Schloss Johannesburg and Kloster Ebrach. Sorry, Germany. Your gift was I didn't do Nazi jokes in the opening. Hmm. Um, uh, Anyway, they were established as monasteries and have been producing wine for almost 900 years. It's more than 50 years ago. <laughs> no one's alive. Check your Germany's... Eddie Izzard. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, Germany's greatest variety, uh, Riesling, was first documented in Rheingau in 1435. Uh, when was the Rhein High School? It was like 15 something, right? That sounds right. 1435 seems like it's a, it's a number for German beer for something or something close to that. And I, I don't know why that number sounded familiar, but mm. whatever. Um, anyway, and it found its way to the uh, Mosul region shortly thereafter. In 1720, Schloss Johannesburg uh, became the first major vineyard to be planted exclusively to this variety. In the mid-18th century saw the development of – ooh – uh boiterized botryized botryized 1516 uh, bot- was the uh oh, okay. I guess I was going to say I didn't think it was close I, yeah. historically that's close-ish but not you know whatever uh boiterized wines uh, and by the 19th century Rhine wines were selling for prices above those of first growth bordeaux take that mm. friends I'm sure there was no no animosity between France and Germany during this time. None at all. None that would come back year after over year. And over again. Uh, Boitrius is the common name for the fungus Boitrius cinerea. Botrytis. Botrytis cinerita. Uh, in, an, in its Did you say benevolent... cinerita? <laughs> I did not say cinerita. <laughs> That's what my brain heard, but okay. <laughs> uh, in its benevolent form, noble rot, this fungus is uh, vital to the production of clean, sweet uh, dessert wines, most famously sauterines. So, uh, real quick, I gotta say, uh, something Dogfish Head does really well, you gotta look up their noble rot, rot mm-hmm. if you yeah. can find it anywhere, because they do a, uh, an oak-aged and a regular one. The regular one is fantastic the oak age one is good but the regular like the just non-oak age noble rot because they're hey guess what they're using in it <laughs> it is delicious you got to try those beers well the uh 
The spores develop in environments where moist air and dry air alternate, uh, allowing fungus to develop but not to evolve into its destructive form, gray rot. Which destroys the berries, causes sour, vinegary flavors in wine. Does it evolve into the white rot? (laughs) Once it's struck down by the Balrog? No, no, okay. Uh, you I'll go, I'll shall not corner. rot. <laughs> uh, grape berries affected by Boitrius gradually uh, dry out on the vine, naturally concentrating the sugars and flavor compounds. Uh, the German wine industry lost its way in quality terms during the 20th century. Hmm. Uh, explain, uh, expanding plantings onto less favorable sites and increasing yields uh, to levels at which the quality was severely compromised. However, the greatest German producers, sites, and wines were never completely lost. And since the late 20th century, considerable effort has been made to reestablish Germany's former glory. Thus leading to the opening joke in this. Yes, but also, you got to be careful with phrases like Germany's former glory. Oof. Germany, we're all real nervous when you start thinking like that. <laughs> a lot of a lot of your neighbors uh, get real uptight when they hear things like that. After a couple of years, you won't stand for that, will we? <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk about some grape varieties. Mm. Germany is home to around a quarter of a million acres of grapes and over 130 varieties. Around two-thirds of Germany's grape production is grapes for white wine. Many of the varieties we hear about in Germany are clones of more well-known grapes. Genetically, they are identical, but culturally and commercially, they represent the name given in Germany. I'm just picturing German multiplicity. (laughs) Yeah, like, (laughs) no, I'd watch it. (laughs) Just at a certain point, the grapes just start getting dumber. So I, I like that movie. I, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. There's no hiding. I like it. Yeah. It's it's not the most intelligent movie. No, but, but yeah. It's, yeah. All right. Uh, the the Riesling, Riesling. However, however you want to go with that one. Uh, the most recognizable and most abundant grape grown in Germany. It is a white grape variety which originated in the Rhine region. Uh, so I'll say Riesling. Rhine. Uh, Riesling is an aromatic grape variety displaying flowery, almost perfumed aromas, as well as high acidity. It is used to make dry, semi-sweet, sweet, and sparkling white wines. Riesling wines are usually varietally. Varietally. It's a new one on me. Okay. Pure and seldom oaked. Much in like term, the German people. <laughs> in terms of importance for quality wines, uh, it is usually included in the top three white wine varieties together with Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc. That checks out. Those would be the ones I used to sell at a casual dining establishment. <laughs> uh, Riesling is a variety which is highly terroir expressive meaning that the character of the Riesling wines is greatly influenced by the wine's place of origin. 
With that in mind, in cool climates such as many German wine regions, Riesling wines tend to exhibit apple and tree fruit notes with noticeable levels of acidity that are sometimes balanced with residual sugar. A late ripening variety that can develop more citrus and peach notes is grown in warmer climates such as, oh boy. Alsace. 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 You, you're used to seeing that with and Lorraine. <laughs> so you should know how to say that. Okay. Also the France. And par- yeah. Parts or of Germany, Austria. Depending on who you ask. <laughs> In Australia, uh, Riesling is often noted for a characteristic lime note. Riesling naturally high acidity and pronounced fruit flavors uh, give wines made from the grape exceptional aging potential. With well-made examples from favorable vintages offering uh, developed smoky honey notes and aged German Rieslings in particular take on a gasoline character. <laughs> Delicious. Oh, boy. Mm-mm. So I don't, I, you know, I don't necessarily want to, to jump the gun on this one, but the, the one I'm having, the wine I'm having right now is mostly, I think it's it's Riesling and it is one of those that I think is just set on the shelf for too long because it's from 2014. <laughs> and I was starting to get like burnt is rubber. Is it unleaded? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. You might be, going, might be going full diesel here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, we need to make a – God, I'm just picturing someone like a vineyard making a wine, like a Riesling, and we call it the diesel. <laughs> no, so I'm. I, my mind was going. So it's going to be a riesling, and it's going to be uh, Mad Max themed. <laughs> Guzzoline, <laughs> I believe is what they call gasoline in the Mad Max series. Mm. So yeah, I think that's how we should go with it. Uh, in 2015, riesling was the most grown variety in Germany with 23 percent and 58,310 acres. That's some acreage. Does Germany have that many acres? There was a great post someone did on, uh, I think it was like Our History on Reddit, that it was a breakdown of, I can't remember the year date, but it was like all the separate kingdoms and serfdoms and everything pre-European like European unifications. And when like, you like, like the Holy Roman Empire broke up and the principalities yeah. of... Like all the principalities and everything. And when you zoomed in over Germany, it's like, holy crap, before like modern countries came together, you're just like, Germany and France were just like 2,000 little kingdoms and serfdoms that someone somehow <laughs> managed to bring them together. I mean, Germany because stayed the- that way for for centuries. France, A long time. France pretty quickly went, hey, this our land now. Just saying, welcome, it's welcome to it, Paris. To find a map of that stuff is like crazy to see what it was like, and you go, no, no. If Charlemagne did was real and did what they say he did, <laughs> no small task. All right, no. uh, so Pinot Noir or Spot Burgunder. Hmm. Uh, Pinot Noir, the, yeah, Pinot Noir Don't is the spot prime. In my Burgunder. <laughs> Hey, listen, I'll spot your Burgunder if I feel like it. 
Pinot Noir is the primary grape grown in the region. Goes by a different name in Germany. However, Spotburgunder, literally late Burgundian. Have spots in it. So it's late Burgundian. Uh, among countries planted with this grape, Germany ranks third behind France and the United States. Historically, uh, much German wine produced from Pinot Noir was pale, often rosé like the red wines of... Al- How did we say? Alsace. Alsace, yes, okay. Th- just, just think, uh, what land does France not want Germany to have? Okay, gotcha. Sudetenland. <laughs> They manufactured that area. We're going to get into a history podcast if this keeps going. Overcropping and bunch rot were major contributing factors to this. However, recently, despite the northerly climate, darker, richer reds have been produced, often barreled, uh, and these are rarely exported and are often expensive in Germany. Hmm. Now, this next one is a different uh, variant of Pinot Noir, but I have no idea how to say that name. Come on, that word. you got to give it a shot. That's you got to give the, both words a shot. It's the shtick. Precoce? Pinot Noir Precoce? Probably I thought wrong. they would be as hard to see. Pre- well, the fir- the okay, the first is not the German word no, for it. Yeah. No, no. Uh, Frufburgunder. Eh? I mean, I can't say it as angrily so, as I feel like it is. I think it's precoce. And oh, okay. I, it, because it's, uh, you know, it comes from the word precocious. Ah. Developing early age. And then uh, uh, Meaning. Father uh, Burgunder. <laughs> Frubagunder. I like that. That just, like, it feels good in the mouth. No, it. it doesn't. It's Come too on, close try to fear. Come on, no. Everyone try too it. Too close to Frubagunder. Anywho, so there's also a smaller buried, early ripening, lower yield variety, the Frubagunder. Frubagunder. Uh, which literally means early Burgundian. All right. Uh, it's a specialty of the region. Uh, this variety is the Pinot Noir. Precoce, precoce, uh, a mutation of the Pinot Noir grape also found in Burgundy and other Pinot growing regions. Wines from Pinot Noir Precoce are closely similar to, if not indistinguishable from, those of Pinot Noir. And it's far from clear that anything distinguishes its wines other than its early ripening. Well, okay. Um, Basically, ripening- it's, it's just a variety that you can... It ripens a little bit earlier, but as far as the taste and flavor, Pinot Noir is p- the same as Pinot Noir and Precocia. So weird. Um, the it's early just, ripening... It's, it's, it's early release. <laughs> That's what she you, you back the Kickstarter to get the, the early version of, ah, of Pinot yes. Noir. Right, right. Standard. Um, so the, this means that it's primarily popular in colder wine regions, and most of the current plantations are found in Germany. Up until the early 20th century, it was one of the most grown varieties in the R, A-H-R, region, but then declined to only 37 acres in the 1960s and was on the verge of becoming extinct due to problems of vine diseases, which we've definitely talked about on the show before. Uh, in the 1970s, the 
Geisenheim Grape Breeding Institute, that's a thing, took an interest in it and began selecting virus-free clones suitable for propagation. The variety has thereafter had a modest revival in Germany, and in 2008, plantations stood at 620 acres. Your modest revival, I'm picturing like a revival on Broadway, but for grapes. I was picturing a uh, a ska band. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, and then the next Pinot is the Pinot Grigio, which just makes me think of all those like like an Arbor Mist commercial or something. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and the German for this is, I'm sorry, Graubergunder? Graubergunder. Graubergunder. Yeah. Rebel Rebel Browser. So this is a white wine grape variety thought to be a mutant clone of the Pinot Noir variety. I love that it's uh, mutant this is, uh, clone. This is the... This is the strike to your to to Pinot Noir's cable. Yeah. <laughs> or strife, strife. Sorry. Hey, and growl beaning gray in. Oh, okay. German. Well, okay. Or or grayish ash colored. Okay. Well, yes. So it normally has a grayish blue fruit, accounting for its name. But the grapes can have a brownish pink to black and even white appearance. Uh, the word Pinot could have been. Uh, given to it because the grapes grow in small pine cone shaped clusters. The wines produced from this grape also vary in color from a deep golden yellow to copper and even a light shade of pink. And it's one of the most popular grapes for skin contact wine. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> uh, probably wine that involves skins like or skins get reintroduced. So, That's my all, guess. All Casey's going to have an actual wine. answer. All red wine is skin contact wine. Oh. So, uh, but because you get the color from the wine, not from inside the juice, but you actually get it from the skins itself. But Mm. being a lighter colored grape, you really typically wouldn't get contact with the skin because it's going to change the color a little bit. Um, Even white wines can be from red grapes. But this is a white grape that you can have some skin contact and it's Mm. not going to change the color that much. Okay. Um, you can have a blush wine, I guess, would be more more appropriate. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Well, Pinot Gris, I'm thinking Gris, but uh, has been known since the Middle Ages in the Burgundy region, where it was probably called Fromento. 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 <laughs> like Portmanteau. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in 1711, a German merchant rediscovered a grape growing wild in the fields of the Palatinate, Palatin, that region of Germany. Uh, the subsequent wine he produced became known as oh, Rulander. And the vine was later discovered to be Pinot Gris. I do not think that is correct. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking. I think oh, there's a it. 0% chance it is. Uh, until the 18th and 19th century, the grape was a popular planting in Burgundy and Champagne, but poor yields and unreliable crops caused the grape to fall out of favor in those areas. The same fate nearly occurred in Germany, but vine breeders in the early 20th century were able to develop clonal varieties that were that would produce a more consistent and reliable crop. I'm picturing these these like 20th century winemakers. 
then you know grape growers as like Mr. Sinister making <laughs> Madeline Pryor because he thought Jean Grey was dead. Okay, yeah. We'll never so, see like, this one so, again, so we need a replacement. Right. So we need like I've just from now on picture all of all vineyard owners as being like in like pure white face, black lips, with, like red eyes. Wearing a weird fringy cape. All right then. So moving into the regions of Germany. Um, in Germany, there are 13 wine regions. Uh, we'll be talking about those today. The regions are further subdivided, though, into 39 districts and then again into 167 collective vineyard sites. And finally, don't worry, don't worry we'll get into all those as well. Yeah. <laughs> 2,658 vineyards at the time of the source being written. There um, we go. That's that's how we know we're not going to run out of content for a while, guys. We've got at least 2,658 episodes in just German vineyards. That's right. Uh, most of the wine regions in Germany are centered around the southwest quarter of the country near the French border. Of course. That's where some <laughs> of the best, best wine is made. Best uh, we'll wine start- and beer. <laughs> We'll start off with Baden, or the Baden region, inside the southwest German state of Baden-Württemberg. You'll find the two largest German wine regions. Baden is a German southernmost region, whereas the warmest and sunniest. Uh, Across from the Rhine, and uh, across the Rhine River from Alsace, uh, this region is noted for its Pinot wines, both red and white. Is it weird that, like, it has to be, like, just being from America, but I can't conceive of Germany having different climates because my brain, Germany is not large enough to have them. Mm. That's, so in my mind, yes, I can like square mileage is not that great, but, but the topography is such is, that yes. yes, it lends itself to these climates. It's very much a microclimate type of, of, so the, the Randy. river, the Rhine River plays a big part in many of these regions um, and because it does pull your oh, the, your temperatures into a certain, you know, that that, the, that river pulls temperatures in those regions. Uh, the Rhine parts. River is important to Germany. Well, yes. Breaking news. Uh, well, <laughs> even in the even in the wine growing regions like the the Rhine River is is sort of a a um, temperature regulator um, for for those areas. And so most of your wine growing is done on the banks of the Rhine, literally right on the banks within, you know, eye distance of where it is. Um, the hey, Kai- Casey, I'd like to imagine if me and you went in a time machine back to like ancient France and like, like medieval France and Germany, you'll be like explaining all of the stuff that's happening. I'm just like, no, watch out. The battle's about to happen here. Yes. <laughs> and I would be somehow on the other end, like, nah, y'all ain't coming back because you're not bringing whatever <laughs> funk was floating around at that period back to now. Penicillin would kill whatever that funk is. It's not penicillin resistant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we, we, by taking penicillin at that time period, we have wiped out of the future race. Look, I'd be like Sigourney Weaver on the way back. I'd be Sigourney Weaver on the other side. We do not break quarantine, (laughs) or else we all die. (laughs) All right, like one person that came out of Alien Three. 
Uh, <laughs> Kaiser. No, Alien 3, because that one wasn't even Sigourney Weaver. Spoiler alert. Nobody came out of Alien 3. Alien, aliens, Sigourney Weaver, and a kid comes out. Two people come out of that one. Well, no, I'm saying an alien. Whatever. Alien 3, the company shows up and takes over and then like the screen cuts to black after Sigourney Weaver's ass jumps into a pit of molten lead and it's just like Wayland Yutoni just took over. They killed everyone, collected all DNA samples they could. And like, no, no one survived. <laughs> the Kaiserstuhl district of Baden <laughs> is Germany's warmest location, sitting on a cluster of old volcanic hills. Um, here you'll find terraced vineyards, much like those in France. One of the Rhine Valley's most impressive geological features, the Kaiserstuhl Hills, rise up majestically from the upper Rhine Plain within just a few miles of the river itself. Their highest point is marked by the Toppenkopf Hill, where peaks reach just over 1,800 feet above sea level. The Kaiserstuhl Range is a broad geological terms an alkali carbonate rock formation created by numerous volcanic eruptions about the 16th to 19 million years ago range. After many millennia of subsequent seismic activities and inevitable erosion, very little of the original volcano remains, but of course it has shaped the soil in that region. I would say, I imagine their water is probably not not bad either. Yeah. Uh, Great to brew beer. Next up is Wurttemberg. Um, it's they're both kind of in the same. The the state is named after both region. Well, both regions are, are the state. state basically. Um, if you were to follow the Baden region northwest, it merges into the Wurttemberg to its south. Um, that is a traditional red wine region where grape varieties Trollinger, Schwarzli. Schwarz, Schwarz Riesling, so Black Riesling, and Limburger make up 70% of the plantings. Yeah, Limburger. Um, the real special of the region is the Schiller wine, which, unlike other rosé wines, is made of a mixture of red and white grapes that are mixed together prior to fermentation, rather than letting grapes sit, red grapes sit on their skins for a short period of time, as is customary to make rosé. See, I thought the Schiller wine was going to be something else. I thought it was just there to, like, hype up other wines. Much like if you're ever in the uh, Pikeville, Kentucky area, you should go to Broken Throne. (laughs) Such a Schiller. (laughs) Everyone's shilling because, no, that's, I was throwing this crap earlier because one person's shilling for their buddy's uh, sake brewery and the other one on here is shilling for the other one in this stream's brewery. <laughs> Bunch okay. of shells. Oh, yep. I see the shirt, Britt. I just bought that one in gray yesterday. Um, in gray? Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Did You're buying the shirts? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're in multiple partners ship, so, you know, I don't okay. like, I buy them at cost, but I'm not just going to be like, oh, I'm taking my shirt. <laughs> it's like, um, mine. Uh, we all get to, like take one, and then after that, we can buy our own. Um, there are many sleep slope, steep slope vineyards in these valleys, and often the sites are terraced and can only be tended by hand. Therefore, there are many part-time wine growers here who cultivate small yields, which they traditionally develop to the closest wine. Sorry, traditionally deliver to the closest wine growers cooperative. There are more than fifty cooperatives in Wurttemberg and market around eighty percent of the region's wine. Huh. So, yeah, you're not going to be able to get a big wine picker machine up on those hills. So it's all very labor-intensive, hand-picked. 
I know they must have machines for picking grapes for that, but I cannot imagine what they look like. They look like a four. They look like a table, but just a really big table. And hmm. then the the legs of the table go on both sides of the grapevine, and then they come down. And the grapes go through the legs of the table, and that's how they're picked. And and I don't know if they're – I think they're shaken off of the vine. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, that it's, I think it would be a shaker. Not yeah. A... They may – well, no, because you're bru- – well, you may be bruising. I don't know. It's a good question on how they actually get off there. I just remember that they they were kind of driving over the top of the vines. Well, we've got another region up here, and to give you an idea how long this episode is, I'm back around to reading again. Uh, <laughs> we're in uh, – Franconia. 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 Uh, That's better. At <laughs> Franconia. Oh, uh, yes. Founded by Danny DeVito. <laughs> I was going to say, we're in Fredonia now. Uh, we're in a Marx Brothers bit. Uh, now, in Franconia, at the tip of these two wine regions lies the Franken region. Or Al Franken was exiled <laughs> after. Uh, centered around... Wurzburg, Fra- uh, Franken or Franconia, is positioned on the banks of the Mon River, or Main River, whatever. At the end of the, uh, and the only wine region su- uh, situated in Bavaria. That's it, Bavaria. You get all the beer you want. One wine. Mm. Uh, Franconia uh, wine has been grown along the Main River for over twelve hundred years. It is traditionally bottled uh, in Boxenbüttel, yeah, uh, which is a flattened uh, ellipsoid shape that makes it easily recognizable and has become the hallmark of Franken's finest wines. If you look at this bottle, it looks like or it looks like someone took a hammer to a uh, to a hot bo- you know, hot wine bottle and like flattened out the middle to make it wider at the base. Hmm. Uh, it. It looks like um, it's almost teardrop shaped. Yeah, I was, I'm trying to think of like there's not a not quite a, as elongated. There, there are other bottles that look like this, but they're not. It looks for like wine. a gourd. That's what it looks like. Yeah, like a gourd. It shape wise, it reminds me of the the Godiva liqueur yes. bottles. Yes, mm-hmm. that. that's that might be what I'm trying to think of. Well, it comprises uh, 6,137 hectares of vineyards, uh, which is 82% uh, of which are white varieties. Uh, Sylvaner, in particular, thrives in the limestone and chalky soils uh, and is a flagship grape there. Exports may play a minor role. Four out of five bottles of Frankenwine are consumed within a 150-mile radius of where it is produced. <laughs> Four out of five dentists disagree. <laughs> Franconians are the bottles of Franken. And can't get the fifth one degree on anything. It's one of those things that you kind of run into in some of these German regions, especially is there are mass produced regions. And then there are regions where you've got to go there. If you ever want to taste this wine, like it's really not coming out of Germany. That's, that's one of those weird things that you do see. Like you'll have a massive uh, producing region for whatever type of beer or spirit. But that region consumes most of it as well. It's like Cincinnati beer. It's not like a m- massive U.S. thing because we drink it all. <laughs> a lot of it doesn't large, get out. Large uh, uh, German descent population in uh, in Cincinnati. Hmm. They love their twisted tea. 
<laughs> what, what was that earlier I said? No, now's the time to Pack bring the... Freedom? No, it was... Uh, like Twisted Tea and Bacon or something? That Like Pack... Yeah, big Bag of Freedom. Big Bag of Freedom. Mm. The Twisted Tea Pack. Big old Bag of Freedom. It's a 1.3 gallon bladder in a box. Like it's a bag of wine. Slap that deal. bag. <laughs> Tea bags. You oh. slap slap somebody in the face with that at the uh, at the counter. The convenience store. Imagine, they got sued over imagine that guy. So imagine that guy have <laughs> instead of the can and having had one of those in his hand. <laughs> Wham! That guy would have been dead. All right. Next up, uh, we've got the uh, Hesse. Yeah, the the Hesse Jesus, there's not a vowel between a G and an S. Bergstrasse. 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 Sorry, I just looked. I was like, there should be a vowel there. <laughs> Everything in my brain says a vowel goes between those two letters. It's, a germ- it's German. It doesn't work that way. Don't you lie to me. Uh, attached to the northern side of the bo- of the Baden region, uh, Hesse's... Bergstrasse, uh, Hessian Mountain Road. Oh, these the guys we killed oh, at Christmas. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like Hessian. Oh. I was like everyone's gonna get there. Uh, so Hesse, okay. Uh, the smallest is the smallest of Germany's thirteen wine regions, both in terms of vineyards and volume produced. But just over uh, eleven hundred acres un, uh, under vine, it produces less than 05 percent of Germany's total wine output. The majority of which Rarely leaves the country. Spring and uh, almond do blossoms. Mm-hmm. Spring and almond blossoms usually come to the uh, Hessischbergstrasse uh, earlier than other regions, uh, which may still be feeling the chills of uh, March or April. In the region, mainly dry and semi-dry wines are produced. The Riesling grape is predominant and complemented by uh, Ravaner, Pinot Gris, uh, Silvaner, Kerner, and Pinot Blanc. Uh, the red Riesling is a rarity and uh, grown at around 20 hecta- uh, hectares. Oh, I thought I caught all the... the uh, acres and hectares and, and switched them. Nope. One slip, Bobby. Uh, a couple. I think I've already said that at least once. Mm. Uh, the red varieties of Pinot Noir, Dornfilter, and St. Laurent are uh, slowly getting ground. Uh, the varied hilly landscape offers great views of Odenwald and the Rhine Plain. Each year uh, on May 1st, young people go outside. Ah, <laughs> oh, the Utes. And just give it to each other. Uh, but also, young winemakers wine invite guests to hike on uh, in the vineyards between um, Heppenheim and Zwiggenbergrund oh. Zwigen, as oh, yeah. part of the spring uh, spring awakening. So I need a, a, a mashup of springtime for Hitler and first of May right here. <laughs> That, that's what I thought of when I uh, read this. I was like, "This has to be included because it's not—it's young winemakers, like specifically. So it's not like the older winemakers. It's just like the young folk get out and hey, you want to go to the hills? Come on now, 
Don't what about uh, the Germans and just like so they're going to the hills to do it, and then they're also having you know the man's day out in the hills where all the men just go grill meat in the hills. Go, they grill meat and drink beer like that's that's Father's Day in Germany. And I'm still saying when we get a chance that needs to be be the way we celebrate Father's Day in this country. <laughs> all right, so uh, oh. It's not as complicated as a word, but uh, still Palatinate? questionable on how to pronounce. Palatinate? Palatinate. Palatinate. Yeah. Uh, traveling southwest to the northern banks of the Rhine, we arrive at Palatinate. Or... I was saying Palatinate. Falls region. Right. Uh, this is the second largest producing region in Germany. The northern half of the region is home to many well-known producers with long histories which specialize in powerful Riesling wines in a dry style. To the south, the production leans towards... I don't know why I thought thought you were going to say dry rub. (laughs) Mm, No, that'd be... Well, okay, no. Talking barbecue, where where does dry rub originate, do we say? Oh, jeez. Because I would not say dry rub is a southern thing. I think it's Texas. Memphis? I love dry rub. I, th- I think it's Texas. You dry rub some ribs? Because mm, you, yeah. the Carolinas and Tennessee are kind of known for sauces, and KC also. I, I'm less saucy. I like a dry rub. Anyway, I like, sorry. I, I like a good dry rub. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, wait, where were we? <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, to the south, production leans towards variety style of wine. And red wine has been on the increase until the early 90s. The region was known in uh, German as Rheinfels. With 57,970 acres under cultivation in 2008, the region is the second largest wine region in Germany, producing around 171 million gallons of wine annually. Damn. For over 85 uninterrupted Kilometers, falses, vineyards sweep across the remarkably pretty, peaceful land, linking the 130 wine towns of the region between Bachenheim and Schweigen on the border with Alsace. Uh, the false proximity to France can be felt everywhere, not least in <laughs> not least in the, the. I thought you said the false proximity to france so i was like what 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 did I, where am i at <laughs> uh not least in the preference for good food top chefs have now established themselves along the duschen vanastras who is successfully experiment with regional cuisine and offer premium wines to complement their culinary creations I, I do not stand behind any of those pronunciations. Like, uh, I gave <laughs> Nor it should shot. anyone. I was impressed. Uh, There's a letter right. in there that none of us like, know what it is. So no, no, it's you... a double S. That, no, right. that's a beta. But uh, in German, it's a double S. It looks like a paper You're a double S. <laughs> I'm just saying. Who's had at least like four years of German here? You, I know. I'm just making a joke that that. Were I looking at it, I would have no idea what that's supposed to be. So yeah. Rheinhessen. Uh, following the Rhine north, uh, we arrive at the Rheinhessen or Rhinish Hesse region, the largest production area in Germany. The region is also known as the Land of a Thousand Hills 
The best uh, Riesling wines are dry and powerful. Rheinhessen wine growers produce modern, uncomplicated wines, as well as top quality products. Varied soils and the favorable climate make it possible to grow many grape varieties, old and new. Because of its size, Rheinhessen has a variety of soil types and climatic influences. Many of the best known uh, viticulture areas are close to the Rhine, makes sense, uh, which forms a steeply embanked valley that is able to trap heat while the river moderates temperature and reflects sunlight. The region follows the bend in the Rhine to its north and is bordered by the river on two sides. Once known as Liebfrommelik, uh, land meaning uh, beloved ladies' milk. <laughs> gonna. Well, Mad Max was mentioned earlier. Gonna, gonna, gonna attempt to leave that one laying right there. Uh, this region was known for a mass-produced, semi-sweet, low-quality white wine style of the same name. When the wine gained international popularity, it greatly damaged the wine-producing <laughs> reputation of Rheinhessen and even Germany, both of which have only begun to recover in recent decades from the mm. beloved lady's milk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Germany. <laughs> yeah. All right. This one I'm going to say Rheingau? Question mark? Mm. Okay, so thanks to a whim of nature that Rhine, which flows north, turns west almost at a right angle near Weisbaden. I feel like you should have a map open I know, for, this for this whole, whole thing, section, yeah. so you're just following. Uh, it is best. I, I completely, because that's how I kind of wrote it, was looking at the map uh, and, okay. and trying to guide. Because everything that, uh, it, when you talk about wine regions, it's extremely difficult to like, think about them without seeing the, the area. And so I tried to do this as the Rhine flows. And so we just follow the Rhine down its pathway and, and where it kind of travels. Well, that makes sense. Um, it's right angle near the Weissbaden. Then 30 kilometers later at uh, Rudesheim um, Rhine. I'm sorry. It turns back again to flow north once more. This is because the Rheingau Mountains, a Taunus foothill running from the east to west, stops the river and forces it to change direction. Thus, at 50 degrees north latitude, the Rhine Bend and the Rheingau wine growing region was created, a narrow strip along the Rhine. Huh. Mm. Um, the oldest documented references to Riesling come from Rheingau regions. And it's the region where many Germ German winemaking practices have originated. Riesling thrives particularly well in the dry, stony, south-facing slopes. It also sur survives cold winter days and uses the long ripening period to develop fine fruit acids and aromas. Already in 1775, the Johannesburg Abbey discovered the advantage of a late harvest. And still today, the Rheingau Riesling... Uh, spot lace, uh, which means late harvest, are the region's flagship wines. <clears throat> I knew none of that before now. Nope. Um, so... Good luck. Middle... Middle Rhine. 
I'm assuming means middle. I don't know. Again, there are consonants in this word that require <laughs> vowels in between them. Mit, Mittelrhein is what I'm going to say. So, following the Rhine, as it turns once again northward, we arrive in the middle middle Rhine. I don't know why that it, the R is just messing me up. Middle because Rhine. there needs to be a there needs to be an E somewhere <laughs> before or after it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's a beautiful region of steep terraced vineyards and some of the wor- the wine world's most spectacular scenery, medieval castles and ruins, clinging to rocky peaks, sites of ancient legends. This wine-growing region where the Romans planted the first vineyards stretches over 100 kilometers. Uh, the narrow Rhine Valley, framed by countless rugged ridges, is an impressive landscape and extremely challenging for winemakers who scaled the vertiginous steep slopes to tend their, their word, vines. Not mine. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> uh, it's quite the word. Uh, the southern part of the unique cultural landscape, the Upper Middle Rhine Valley, was declared a World Heritage Site by UNESCO in 2002. Hmm. Uh, the vintners favor the classic grape varieties. Riesling particularly thrives here, producing mineral wines with fine aromas and racy acidity. Uh, with 65% of the acreage, it's the most prolific, uh, followed by... Mueller Thurgau, Pinot Gris, and Pinot Blanc. The most important red grape variety is Pinot Noir. Huh. I feel like that's just like a given. Just a general <laughs> rule. Like you don't you you don't have to know anything about wine to be like eh, probably Pinot Noir. <laughs> so at this point we're kind of towards the north. Uh, we're approaching the north part of Germany on that. Um, West Coast, and See, so until this episode, I didn't know the night the uh, the the Rhine flew north, much mm-hmm. like uh, other important rivers like the Nile, <laughs> Big Sandy. Does <laughs> I, so? There are all these have been sort of right on the Rhine. Mm-hmm. The the ones that we're getting ready to talk about next are three wine growing regions that are on branches of the Rhine, and um. Tributaries. They, tributaries, if you will, yep. And they're kind of named after the Rhine's tributaries. You know, they're named after the rivers that are there. Mm-hmm. And so um, the first is the R, and R is a small region uh, along the river of the same name. And so this region is one of the smallest in Germany's, but is worth the pilgrimage due to the high-quality red wines that grow here. Uh, the Romans had already appreciated the climatic advantages to the wild air, air R Valley planting the first vines. Today, the R Valley in the northern Rhineland Palestine, um, sorry, in the north of Rhineland Palestine, presents Palatine. They are not currently. There's there's not issues with them in Israel. (laughs) Um, Well, it may be where we move Palestine in the next. uh, No, I'm just blowing smoke. (laughs) Take no geopolitical information from me. presents itself as a distinguished red wine grown region. The region stretches only around a seven miles length um, and no further than eyesight from the river. So you're up and down seven miles on this river and you can see pretty much every grape grown from the river itself. That's about how, how small this region is. Um, the dramatic and vertically plunging valleys are one of the most picturesque images you'll see when reaching this region. Uh, the top R wines can only be 
can only be produced with great effort and dedication in order to work the vines and harvest. Wine growers often have to climb through rugged crevices and extremely steep slopes where sometimes only a few vines stand side by side. The R River meanders dreamily in tight bends through the bizarre rock landscape towards the Rhine. So I took some of this, and you can kind of get the idea. I took some of this from some of their uh, marketing materials, Mm -hmm. as you can tell when they start talking about this. Um, (laughs) Vineyards nestled above on barren rocks. Uh, The mild climate produces grapes in the R Valley with ideal conditions as the warmed rocks release their stored heat to the vines at night. Today, the R Valley in the north of the Rhineland Palatinate presents it. Oh, nope. Oh, yes, that's correct. Um, Presents itself as a distinguished red wine growing region. In addition to Pinot Noir, we learned earlier was called Spot Spot Burgunder, the king of red vines. Furburgunder is also valued and one of the specialties of the region. Several old Furburgunder vineyards have been discovered and are now preserved by committing committed wine growers. Been trying to hold in, sing this whole episode. Let's see if I can get the horse of the way. So close. Mosul, Mosul uh, is the next region along the river Mosul. Uh, and its tributaries west of the Rhine, we find the next region. Mosul is dominated by Riesling grapes and slate soils, and the best wines are grown in dramatic-looking steep vineyards directly overlooking the rivers. The region produces wine that is light in body to its, due to its low alcohol levels, crisp uh, of high acidity, and pronounced mineral character. There's this is the only region to stick to Riesling wines with noticeable residual sweetness as the standard style, although dry wines can also be produced. So typically Riesling is dry, but this one, the typical Riesling is sweet. Hmm. Uh, Nahe or Nahi region, Chris? Uh, you got me. Okay. Uh, gets protection <laughs> against cold winds from the forested Hunsruck. Nahi going to find out how to say it over here. In my mind wants to just say nah. <laughs> nah. That hey. nah region. It's no, nay, never. No, never, no more. Oh, wrong <laughs> episode. So it's protected from cold winds by by the Hunsruck Hills. Uh, mild temperatures and lots of sunshine create an excellent climate for wine growing in the sunny valley with low rain. Although the region is one of the smaller German wine regions, its, its extraordinary range of soil types is second to none. This is because of its turbulent geological history. For this reason, the region for this reason the region is able to grow a range of varieties and produce a large variety, diversity of wine styles. All right. So now we've kind of followed the Rhine. Well, there's two regions that are nowhere near the Rhine. They're in the actual northeast of Germany, near the Czech and Polish borders. Um, And these are the last two regions. Uh, Both at one point lay in what is former East Germany and surround their own systems of rivers. Um, So first off, we have Sele-Unstrut. It lies on the rivers Sele and Unstrut, of course. which run through an old cultural landscape, which is characterized by steep terraces, stone walls, orchards, and river meadows. Vines have been cultivated here since 998 AD, so they've been here a while. Um, situated in on the 51st parallel lateral latitude, uh, it is among the most northernmost of Europe's traditional wine regions and the most northern quality wine-growing region in Germany. Due to the location and the cooler climate, the weather is more variable, and therefore cultivating grapes, 
cultivating grapes. It's the first of May. Uh, Cultivating (laughs) grapes on uh, stone terraces can be... Due to the location and the cooler climate, the weather is more variable. Therefore, cultivating vines on stone terraces can release the heat at night and help temper this. Of course, deep frosts lurk in winter or late frost in spring, and the average temperature is comparatively low, so the local viniculture needs protected vineyards, and most are south-facing. Thankfully, in the river valleys, heat islands are generated where microclimates allow the grapes to flourish beautifully along with 1,600 hours average of sunshine per year. However, there is only around 500 millimeters of annual rainfall, making it one of the driest regions in Germany. This climatic condition, climat- climatic condition uh, leads to the kind of natural reduction in yield. So the harvest among, harvests among this region uh, average only about 50 hectoliters per hectare. Um, I think that's like almost half. Uh, traditionally, dry wines with typical, fruit, finely nuanced fruitiness and liveliness are the hallmarks of this area. With 798 hectares, it is one of the smaller regions of Germany. Um, so we've got Sachsen or uh, the Saxony region of Germany. Uh, the wine from Saxony is a rarity. You'll find it predominantly in the region itself, in cozy wine taverns and fine restaurants. Definitely want to travel there after reading this brochure. Uh, in stylish wine shops and uh, at autumn wine festivals. Of course, directly from the wine growers themselves. The typical steep slopes terraced with quarry stone adds a special character to the viticulture here because the great wines of the region, such as Pinot Blanc, Pinot Grigio, or Pinot Gris, and above all, Traminer, uh, thrive on the steep slopes of the Elbe. The 90-kilometer Saxon wine hiking trail also connects the many pearls of the area, leading to the most beautiful vineyards, viewpoints, and wine cellars. Several Strauschwirtschaften, seasonal wine taverns, Invite you for a glass of wine and a hearty meal. These rustic refreshments, most operated, mostly operated by small and part-time winemakers, and are extremely popular in the region. Hmm. We've made it. We did it. We just have one more section to go. <laughs> Drink with me, friend. It's not to say I haven't learned a lot and it hasn't been an informative episode. There's just a lot to go into here. Apparently. It's like the whole country's history. Well, not even like the history. We didn't I even do a whole lot. No. There's a whole lot of German history we didn't touch on. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so. Um... <laughs> it, I mean, like, yes. It's kind yeah. of like the history, that history portion of Germany. Germany really wasn't as affected as well, some of the Ger- surrounding countries because yeah. they weren't being invaded. Well, no. Here, here's the thing: Germany, the, the history, like uh, kind of of the episode as it's as it's gone through, is of the regions for this, which used to be their own separate countries. Germany wasn't a country until like 1836, mm. somewhere in that range. Hmm. Anyway, what have we been drinking? <laughs> yeah. Uh... I was going to have something for this show, but I uh, did not. 
we, <laughs> yeah, I was like, eh, I can't think of anything. So I got, um, this was allegedly never going to be canned again. And well, no, they lo just, and behold, <laughs> they never said canned not again. again, just not in the near future. And again, it wasn't for like four years. That's just blurry. Yeah, I keep trying to show it. And anyway, it's uh, the pump can from Mad Tree Brewing. And yes, kids, it's that time of year. <laughs> it's it's pumpkin time. It's there's no pumpkin in it. Yes, that's true. So, um, which, pumpkin time is it? It's pumpkin a pumpkin time. spiced ale. Yeah, with so no just, pumpkin. Spice. I'm just ale. thinking like it's pumpkin time for my pumpkin wraps. No pumpkin. Sorry. <laughs> spiced ale with cinnamon, nutmeg. Ginger, allspice, and molasses. And this is at 7.9% ABV. I love the can art. It was kind this. of a kick for me to finally realize my favorite local, what I always considered pumpkin beer, doesn't have pumpkin in it. And I was like, well, it's that a little weird. Could be why. Yeah. <laughs> it, um, that could be the reason. It, I, I know, well, I noticed like this time, and I'm trying to like, do I really perfectly remember how the, how the original one tasted? No, like, you Because they used to have pumpkin in it, like just like it's been everybody. But three years since they even got it. Like I went and got a growler fill. Yeah. When they stopped doing cans. But this is definitely. It feels a lot lighter. Like it feels like, um, I don't know. Like if you have actual pumpkin and stuff, it has like this this uh, heavy quality to. I, I don't know how to, how to describe that with a liquid that's... Not, it, <laughs> it tastes like you shoved that. a gourd into your beer if you use pumpkin. Instead... Sure, yeah. And whereas this is just like, you know, when you get... Uh, or you make like wassail or, or something for for the holidays. It's just a bunch of spices all at once. Uh, but it's, it's really good. Um, it's just not like, you know, pumpkin. So... Um, Pumpkin, <laughs> which probably would lend it more towards me enjoying it, because pumpkin yeah, sucks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you might you might like it <laughs> with just because of the spices and stuff. So yeah. Uh, sorry, I, I don't mean that pumpkin actually. It's just it's not my thing. I don't like yeah. pumpkin pie. I don't. It's yeah, what, yeah. Uh, I have been drinking uh, to style for the episode. I went out and picked out. A beer entirely because of its name. Sure. Mm. Are you a wine been, or? Uh, sorry, wine. Okay, I was like, uh, wait. <laughs> just habit. Mm. Uh, no, I picked up a Ich bin ein Weissenwein. Weissenwein. Oh. So close. <laughs> so close. Uh, yeah, it's just a Riesling. It's at 11%. Uh, they have a little description here on the back. She says, I am a white wine. I am a white wine is a statement. It symbolizes the moment in history when John F. Kennedy gave hope to millions with his speech during the peak of the Cold War. It embodies the rebellious nation. Hmm? They were reaching on that one. <laughs> uh uh, it embodies the rebellious nature of Berlin's street graffiti that flooded the city during the fall of the Berlin Wall. It speaks to the winery of uncompromising authentic, authentic winemaking, uh, and it demands inclusiveness in today's turbulent times. I am inspiring, rebellious, authentic, and inclusive. That is... And a some, jelly donut. I am a jelly donut. <laughs> he said I am a jelly donut. That's... Uh, 
I am a white wine. Like it. Uh, the crowd went fucking wild. <laughs> <laughs> he's a donut. No, he's a donut. It's American. He's a donut. Um, no, uh, I had this right after drinking a torpedo, and it tasted <laughs> buttery. And not buttery, cheesy, like a weird huh. dairy funk. Uh, as it's gone on, I have gotten less of that. I've gotten more like honey flavors as it's gone on. So it's gotten more into what I, I had to assume it's just other stuff was on my tongue and went, mm. we don't know what to think about this. <laughs> Should have cleansed the palate, Holmes. <laughs> yeah, moral of the story. How about you, Casey? I am on... Uh... Peace Porter, uh, Mickelsberg Qualtonswein from Mosul. Uh, it's a Schmidt and Schoen. Does your does that wine have quaaludes in it? That's what I can, all I can think of with that word. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So Schmidt and Schoen, the creator of the wine. So there, there's your brand, like your brand company. They do a ton. They're a huge like bulk buy importer company so they're they're like doing a bunch of stuff there um now they have this 2014 of course the year peace port of milkensburg um you're looking at like a it's around that region um i don't know which one it is if i think it's the michaelsburg michaelsburg is the the actual location and the word peace porter uh, means around, if I'm not mistaken. It's not exactly there, but it's around that region. Um, Mosul being the wine-growing region, or around that, that you know, we were talking about there's more distinct, like the 65 yeah. inside of the 13. So that's the the Micklesburg. The Mosul is the main region. The This is the one that got me. Qualitasvine? Qualitasvine? Qualitasvine. Just means that it's a quality wine from that region. It is sort of their lowest classification. Um, it, it's not. It's just basically saying this meets all of the qualities of this type of wine. So this it's is like technically the wine. genuine leather is actually like the lowest grade of leather. So they, when they, they're selling you, oh, our genuine leather sofa, it's like that's the lowest grade of leather that's available. It's like next to rawhide. Uh, I mean, it could be worse. Could next be leather. So it's next up from that because you've got German table wine that usually you don't get those those kind of distributed, and what, then this one is quality. Because like, like uh, uh, what's the one? What's the Italian wine we like that comes in the basket? Um, oh, uh, Chianti. 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 <laughs> like if, if Chianti is like a considered a table wine that's got that. Like what's a, what's what's wrapped around a German table wine? <laughs> sausage. Great. Sausage. Yeah, it's sausage. my kind of wine. It's baked into a pretzel. Oh, um, just pretzels, oh you know? yeah. Uh, and then what if got, we just like, got rid of the wine and just had like a, a, a hot dog inside of a pretzel? I think you're missing the point. <laughs> we need the wine. Um, just get the, make the wine a beer. Then yeah, becomes, there you go. Um, Any hands? I mean, it, <laughs> but there's one more one more quality level up from that, and that's superior. So it's like table quality. Um, and then superior is the the kind of hierarchy there. 
uh is it is it good did you enjoy it or is it it's sweet slightly sweet uh it, it's actually pretty sweet but it's the high acidity low alcohol 9.5 percent so it's not like a, a slammer here i'm not dying um and then uh it, it's got some really cool notes to it the fact that it's set since 2014 gives it a little bit more character and it's not like I've had wines that have been this old before and they age this does not make like, it better. This one tastes like burnt rubber. This one it, and it's a good burnt rubber. You I get honey, <laughs> I get I get floral, I get honey, I get um like a, a slight minerality, not a ton, but a slight minerality. And then I get this when I first opened it especially, I get this this BMX tire smell, which I haven't had in a wine since um since I had a Seven Deadly Zins from I think it was a 2013, 2014, Seven Deadly Zins as well. No, I take that back. 2004, 2003, 2004, Seven Deadly Zins. It's been years since I've been able to catch that quality in a wine. Hmm. Uh, it's likely a Riesling, but they don't tell you. It's just basically <laughs> – uh, that's just what that re- region makes. They don't want you to know. Yeah. Uh, it's probably mostly region, Riesling, but it's probably a blend. Hmm. Well, I guess uh, due to a late edition, I will now... Usually we drink the same thing. I just forgot to put that that table in there. No, no. It was just... No, Chris doesn't get to say what he's uh, drinking. We're just leaving him out. Uh-huh. So I, I decided... Uh, not doing wine. Uh, decided to, I guess, just fruit my butthole. I don't know. Uh, started... <laughs> Started with a double kaleidoscope from Urban Artifact. It's a pineapple, orange, and guava double Midwest fruit tart coming in at 10% ABV, 3.2 pH. Chris. And it was great. Chris. Yes. Fruit My Butthole is the, the fruited Baba Yaga variant. Fruit My Butthole. All right. Sorry. So uh, I was polishing off that one. And then I was like, hey, I've got more fruited stuff in the fridge, like overly fruited stuff. And I have a Lulz smoothie uh, seltzer. This one is Jungle Cats. Mmm, <laughs> and it has Jungle Cats all over the label, which is <laughs> interesting. I've actually enjoyed a lot of the Lulz smoothie seltzers, TBH. But so yeah, ten percent on the Urban Artifact uh, Midwest fruit, double Midwest fruit tart, and then the the lulls with guava and orange, which more guava than orange, which is hard to pull off in my opinion. Mm. Only at five percent, and it poured much, much, much thicker. It poured. Oh yeah, is that the. Is that like a spacho you were drinking a second ago? Pretty <laughs> much. I can hold it up, but yeah. you can't, like, uh, for audio, like, after the fact, you, you don't get it. This thing is thick. It's like a gazpacho. Like, yeah, it is. Whoo. I could almost chew it yeah. for part a me wonders, smoothie seltzer. Part of me wonders if these people that are making these are putting in, like, maltodextrin just as a thickener mm. to make you feel like you're getting more fruit. Mm-hmm. Urban Artifact is not. I can promise you that. Well, maltodextrin is a common beer ingredient. Like, it's not... Like, I've not seen... I I get fruit puree, and I've not seen fruit puree as thick as some of their beers are. Mm. (laughs) Well, that's to say, so Urban Artifacts wasn't... Usually, I would say, like, oh, the double double Midwest fruit tarts are about the thickest things you're going to find on the market. 
But this Lulz thing was like twice as thick, like unnaturally thick. Man was not meant to go this thick. <laughs> no. No, they were not. <laughs> and what size can is it in? The Lulz is in 12 ounce and oh, okay. the Urban Artifacts a uh, 16 ounce. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the ones that I'd seen from in the past, the big fruit fruit guys, have been the 32 ounces, and I'm like, there's no way you could get through a whole one of those. Oh, oh God, God, no. You're talking about, like, the answer crowlers or something. Yeah, those guys. Oh, God, no, I can't do that. No, Urban Artifact is not, they're not crazy. They're, like, most of it's in 16 ounces. Hmm. Otherwise, I'd be dead or have <laughs> diabetes. Yeah, one of the, the two. The, the uh, but no, I, I liked them both. I just that Lulz smoothie seltzer, five percent alcohol, just crazily thick, <laughs> like unmanageably thick. Thick with four C's. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, if anyone was wondering, if you hadn't picked up on it, uh, today's episode was written by Casey uh, and edited by Brittany. And brought to well. you by drinkers like you. <laughs> uh, Sources are all over the place. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't write them down. I'm sorry. Tourism <laughs> brochures and yeah. topography like maps. <laughs> yep. Uh, Casey, what if I wanted some other great resources? Thank you for that lead-in, Bob. You can subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. Follow us at haveadrinkshow on social media and twitch.tv. Or you could tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or uh, just leave some general feedback. Uh, you can do that at feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. You can use the feedback page on the website. Um, uh, I thought I heard something recently when someone shouted into the into the endless abyss, abyssal void, uh, but it turned out I just had gas, so... Keep trying. That was a shout. All joking and fun aside, I'd like to remind everyone to please drink responsibly. And I guess to shoehorn in before we go into it, uh, post shows for our patrons, or you know, you can find them on Twitch if you're not a patron. Hey, they're there. And uh, we, we're, we're talking a, Loki and Ted Lasso. For a limited time on yes. Twitch. Yes, limited time on Twitch until, like, I think the episodes are only up for, like, what, a month or two? And then... Then they got like to go. Catalog. Yeah, it's only a few episodes at a time. I want to say like three months or something. Yeah, it's not that much. And then they pull down. And then if you're a patron, you can always get them in your feed. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you can check us out, uh, as we mentioned before. I was about to say the usual. Uh, in September <laughs> for the next live episode. We'll be back. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll figure something out. But um, Celebrate my birthday. And our- the, no, no pod fading. Yes, and then it'll be Bob's birthday weekend. Uh, so, and then Oktoberfest. Yeah, September's gonna be bananas. So yeah, we just See, we, we need, need to take a break. A honestly, <laughs> hydrate. Um, just just <laughs> hydrate. Yeah, good for our livers. Uh, so check us out then, and you know, if you want to come to Oktoberfest, that'd be cool. Uh, if you like what you hear and you want to support, have a drink. Remember to go to Patreon.com/slash/haveadrinkshow, but also haveadrinkstore.com for all kinds of different merch on there. Get now. your drunken uh, sofa pillows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Deladders thing on size? one side. What? I still like am voting. Pillows. We need to make the Bob shitty pillow yeah. sofa Plus. drunken pillow. 
We'll just figure it out. But okay. Uh, either way. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Fraser. I'm Christopher Walker. I'm Casey Price. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>